0: All right, you guys, here we are, another episode of Behind the Visual Podcast, where I interview all those people responsible for creating all the images and videos you see out in your world every day. I am your photographer and your host, and I am a photographer. I'm your host and a lifestyle and advertising photographer, so let's go with that, first of all, and um, maybe I could be your photographer, depends, I guess, maybe I am. So, Anyway, today's guest is Art Stryber. Art is an amazing photographer. He's probably shot any major celebrity you can think of. Art has shot them, and he has shot them for all different types of things from movie posters to magazines and probably everything in between. And this uh, episode, we talk about how Art got started as a photographer. We talk about a huge shoot that he did for the Paramount 100th anniversary where they had 100 of their top stars all on stage at one time and how it took him months of planning, a week of setup. And not only does he talk about how he did it, but he even shows some pictures of uh, the equipment they used and how they did it. So this is definitely one. If you can watch the YouTube, you should probably watch the YouTube video on this thing because it's incredible. 80 packs. Um, lighting packs and the way they set it up. It was it's an amazing little deal there. He shows you all the kind of behind the scenes stuff there. He also talks about how as a photographer, you probably are not your best critic. So maybe you want to get somebody else to look at your stuff and help you out a little bit with that. Uh, also talks about going to the White House and shooting for the Obamas, uh President Obama and Michelle Obama and what it took to get through there. Uh you know, the drugs, bomb sniffing dogs and uh, all that kind of stuff so what else is there oh god he's talking about a shoot he did with faye dunaway and we talked a little bit about his daughter who's uh sienna striber who if you go to sienna striber on youtube you can see the concert she's released a new album so i brought that up because i saw that he shot a little bit of stuff for her for that so check it out man i mean there's a lot going on here a lot of cool stuff a lot of cool things we talked about especially if you're in for into photography, uh, this is a great one to check out. So hope you guys enjoy this one. red
1: um, or render red, really just, you know, it's awful. Um, yeah,
0: this looks great. And I was trying to figure, yeah, I thought, well, hell, he's got a great camera. And what is it? <laughs>
1: Um, So, I'm at my desk and there is a tripod behind the desk, two legs on the desk, one leg on the floor. Okay. Um, The the only issue with the 5D Mark III is that the video cuts out after 30 minutes. So I just have to turn the camera on, turn the camera off. The 5D Mark IV doesn't have that built-in quitting mechanism, but what's spectacular is at F4…
0: Yeah, that's amazing.
1: Everything's out of focus. And I think there are so many things that people aren't thinking about now that we're online all the time on Zoom. Um, And that is, first of all, the camera position. You know, uh, a lot of people are looking down into their laptops and that's no good. Then there's the lighting uh, issue. And then there's the background. Like, you know, you've done a very good job of having the converging lines back there, but so many people, you know, just shoot against a flat surface Yep. And with the laptop or the desktop giving you everything sharp, we spend yes. a, an awful lot of our time looking at the pictures and <laughs> looking, trying to read yeah. the bookshelves. And like I'm trying to make out those photos behind you, right. recognize the Roloflex. And here, everything falls out of focus. So you kind of know what it is, but you don't really know what it is. And your eye just keeps moving through the frame.
0: Yeah, that's genius. Yeah, that was great. Well, thank you for doing this. I'm glad we were able to make it happen. Yeah, I know you've been very busy lately, so I appreciate you uh, being able to come on here and do this. So, hey, first of all, how long have you known Ken um, Zane? Uh, Ken and I met
1: at the Palm Springs Photo Festival probably six or seven years ago, and We're in the habit of only seeing each other every year, but now we are on a uh, weekly Friday at 4.30 Zoom with a number of art buyers and reps and just kind of Palm Springs refugees. Um, And uh, I'm going to do his podcast, I think, in a couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, we were talking about it, and he was like, okay, well, I'm going to put off doing arts. You do it first, and then I'll put off. So I think it doesn't really matter when we do it. It's, we can. It'll be fine. <laughs> but yeah, he's a great... I just met him from doing the podcast. He's a great dude. I really oh, like him. Oh, he's a great guy. Great yeah. guy. So I saw on Instagram that your daughter is, has an album that she just put out. That is correct. That has been
1: a long time coming, believe me. Yeah. So mm-hmm. she's been passionate about that for a while? Uh, she has. She's a very talented singer songwriter, and um, uh, she wrote a number of those songs six, seven, eight years ago. And just through a series of, you know, events that we can all relate to, um, just never got it, you know, out there.
0: Yeah. Well, at least she's got. I mean, I haven't, I haven't heard it yet. I saw that you put it out there, and I haven't had time to take a listen to it. But I also saw that she had. Um, Somewhat of a decent photographer shooting her promotional stuff for it. For what it looked like. uh,
1: she had one of my former interns um, and who's now a very talented uh, working photographer and photo assistant do the album work. But then one day she said, we're doing uh, promotional photos tonight. And I said, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, we were lucky enough to be able to pull it off, you know, right out in front of our house, sitting in her... I think sitting in her mother's car.
0: Okay. Well, it's nice to know I'm not the only one whose family just comes up to them at random moments and says, hey, we're doing a shoot, come on. And you gotta grab it and run. I also saw that you did a thing with um, class of 2020. What made you come up with that idea and, and do that?
1: Um, I uh, am on the board of trustees at a school here in West Los Angeles where both of our daughters went to school. And I know a number of the senior parents and I'd seen a number of the projects that had been done in May, uh, April and May regarding seniors, and I really wanted to do something for the kids. And before the pandemic hit, literally in February, one of the senior mothers had said, "Hey, will you come to um, pre-prom, and you know, set up a seamless?" Which I had done for my daughters years ago, and I said, absolutely. So when prom dissolved, right. they came back to me and said, what about a senior project? Uh, and I said, okay, here's what we could do. And I really, I really wanted to not just do a series of portraits of the kids, I wanted to go beyond just them sitting on a stool and so i really encourage them to bring their college essay to life to bring some kind of an object object or prop or something that helped people understand what they're about so i don't know if you saw them but surfboard dog um uh, skateboard, uh, musical. Yeah, I saw the instrument.
0: guy with going up to do a serve for the volleyball, or as well. Um,
1: but then when they 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 arrived in the backyard here at the office, and they were wearing their masks, and I thought, I got to do that. So right, yeah. I photographed each of them um, wearing their masks because I think taking the traditional you know high school portrait and masking it. <laughs> yeah. It was just going to be kind of weird and sad um, and also an incredibly bizarre moment in time to capture and be able for them to look back in 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you know, um, you know, how fascinating are what few pictures there are yes. from the pandemic of 1918. Right. Yeah. You know. Uh, 1917, 1918. And so to be able to have contributed in some small way to the documentation of what we're going through really resonated for me.
0: I thought it was great. I thought it was definitely, it was much better than when you see the normal senior portrait kind of things. It was really cool. And I enjoyed even with the mask, seeing with the mask on and all that as well. I thought it was perfect because these kids can look back on it and go, look, this is, you know, show their kids. This is what we had to go through. Here's us with the mask on. Here's, and then they got you to shoot it on top of it. So they did well all the way around on that thing. I think. How'd you distribute those to them? There's a like a cinema link, and they download, it or they? Um, well, we, we did a number of things. Um,
1: I use a uh, an online archive storage software that I highly recommend to all of your listeners called DF Studio, and yeah. DF Studio comes from. Uh, a company in Culver City called Digital Fusion. And I have been using their online archiving um, and editing, and by editing, I mean selecting. I don't mean post-production. You know how long it took me to
0: accept that as a term? Because I had so many- I don't accept it. My assistants say, well, I'm editing pictures today. I'm like, well, how hard can that be? I go through them, she said, I'm paying somebody to edit. I'm like, you're paying somebody to edit your images? And then I found out what she meant was retouching. I like, okay.
1: No, 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 no. I pushed back. I've been pushing back on that one for about six years and I will continue to push back. Yeah. Um, but that ship has sailed because there are no there are new Apple billboards up around Los Angeles with what's obviously a post-produced photoshopped image, and the caption is edited on iPhone. And I went, Well, uh-huh. Yeah. That battle is lost, but in professional and semi professional circles, I'm going to continue to push for the nomenclature. So, anyway, we distributed the images to the parents through uh, DF Studio Links, but also one of the parents designed and put out a, a book. Oh, wow. Um, wait, let me see if I know where that is. And, oh, ah, there we go. Wow. Kind of a, kind of a nice size. So here is unmasked. Oh, wow. And they put them in alphabetical order and did the portrait with the mask on one side and the what I will call the biopic. Yeah. On the other side. Oh, there's the volleyball. Oh, done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That was the one at first. Well, my daughters play volleyball. So when I saw that shot, that immediately stuck out in my head. So there is unmasked. That was very cool. And it's designed well. I like the way they did it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that was cool. So when did you first, when did you first know you wanted to be a photographer when you first started shooting? Mine was when I was very little. I saw my dad doing some stuff in the dark room. I was like, that's what I want to do. When did it kick in for you? Um, my grandfather
1: was a very, very avid amateur. He had his own darkroom, and in about eighth grade, he sold me and my brother Paul a Canon AE-1 for $5 and threw in a 50 millimeter or a 35 millimeter lens for $2. Wow. And handed me a roll of Tri-X. I went to school not knowing anything. Shot the roll, brought it back to his dark room, and honestly, the magic of the process of taking this thing and taking it out in the dark, running it through the chemistry, hanging it to dry, putting the negative in the enlarger, the, the process.
0: yeah
1: I'm a process person, and I love process and results. Um, I wish I, were, I wish I could apply that to cooking. <laughs> um, but um that's what really got me excited so i got hooked pretty darn hard in 8th grade i'd been using my father's nikon f and by the time i was a junior and senior in high school i was the photography editor of the student paper and yearbook
0: wow you did both and huh? it
1: just kind of took off from there
0: all right that's kind of similar to me. My dad was a photographer. He had his own dark room. I saw a picture of evil Knievel come up in the pan one day and I was like, That's cool. I wanna do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then started shooting in school. And then I was actually shooting um I wasn't on both yearbook and newspaper. I was on the newspaper. And then I was also shooting sneaking my cameras into concerts. Mm. Taking pictures at concerts and then selling them to all the girls. <laughs> <like a pool. laughs> <laughs> That's but a great scam. Think, yeah, I'd make up little prints and hand them out, like write your name on the back, they're $5 a print or whatever, and then end up selling them to them along the way. So is that what, so at that point, did you, did you know that this is what you want to do as a career, kind of the thing, or is it John? General- um, you know, by about my senior
1: year in high school, freshman year in college, I was completely hooked. And like I said, I loved the process. And I didn't honestly understand what my father did. And he was a kind of a uh, accountant, controller, banker. And I knew he sat at a desk. Yeah. But I didn't understand what sitting at a desk meant in terms of processor moving papers around. And now I love sitting at my desk. Um, Now I get it. But I didn't get it then. What I understood was this photographic process and how magic that was and kind of understood that it was going to open all kinds of doors for me to see things that I wouldn't normally see. And I had also fallen in love probably in fourth grade with the idea of the field trip, of going to the farm and seeing how cows got milked, going to the bottling plant and seeing how stuff got, you know, like going behind the scenes and again, process. So I was able to take the photographic process and bring it and go behind the scenes all over the place. You know, roaming the sidelines, going to meetings, um, getting entree to places that the average person just didn't get to see, you know, just literally pulling back the curtain on the wizard of awesomeness of anything and everything.
0: Yeah, it's amazing the, the things you get to do by being in this profession. Did you go to college for photography or did you get a degree in something else? I did not.
1: I, um, well, tangentially. Um, no. The irony is that very same grandfather um, was a Stanford alum and I went to Stanford. And before I left, he told me, Photography is an avocation. It is not a vocation. Okay. This is a hobby, not a job, which is what it was for him. Right, yeah. Um, He ran a small business, medium-sized business, and I said, yes, sir, I absolutely get it, no problem. And I got to Stanford, walked into the Stanford Daily, and I was a communications major. Um, One of my great regrets, I can copy edit like a crazy person but i should have done sociology psychology american history because those are the things that a i'm fascinated with and b really inform uh i think a photographer's understanding of how to interact with people and take in all of the stimuli that we're bombarded with
0: yeah i think psychology would i have a communications degree as well mine's in media advertising but mm-hmm. i think i should have i think you're right with but the psychology part would have been good to have in there to understand yeah, mine is um print and broadcast journalism okay yeah i was probably two classes short of media advertising and broadcast production <laughs> but i was my dad was paying for it at the time and i said well i'm gonna stick around i got another semester and i have a double major and he's like no you can pay for it yourself if you want to do that. And I was like, all right, I'm out. There you go. It's already been four and a half years. And (laughs) what are you gonna do with a double major in communications anyway? Good question. So at what point when you started shooting, got out of school, started shooting, at what point did you think this is it? This is gonna be a good career. And maybe even the point where you thought, I'm gonna have a better than average career as opposed to the guys shooting the family portraits and the weddings and you know, whatever else, just all locally.
1: Well, to be honest, I didn't have a broad education in different photographic genres or roots. You know, I grew up in Los Angeles and didn't know that Hollywood was about, you know, 25 or 30 minutes away. I worked at a small camera store, um, in one of the western suburbs of Los Angeles called Pacific Palisades. And I thought photography was photojournalism. I thought photography was time, life, Sports Illustrated, National Geographic. And that's the road I thought I was going down. You know, I thought, I thought that one worked for a newspaper and then one jumped to, <laughs> Time, Live, Sports Illustrated, National Geographic, because that's what those guys were doing in the late 70s and 80s. That's where they had come from, you know, Um, or they'd worked for the wire services. So I was never consciously saying, okay, there's no way I'm doing weddings or kids. I am choosing photojournalism. I just pursued this thing that I thought was the thing. Right. OK. So um, which I think was beneficial because as a photojournalist um, and then as a magazine photographer. I had to shoot anything that came along. Oh, yeah. Um, and let me back up. I graduated, did an internship at a newspaper in Riverside, California. So I was, you know, on my way to newspaper photography. And then the internship ended, but the end of my senior year and that summer, I met a woman who had been in my magazine writing communications class. She was a graduate student and she got hired at the Riverside Press Enterprise after her internship. I did not get hired. Um, So I went back to the small camera store, started freelancing, freelancing, freelancing. She was in Riverside for three months and moved to Los Angeles. And she went to work for Women's Wear Daily and Uh W, Fairchild Publications back then. And Fairchild had this one kind of consumer broadsheet, W, and it had Women's Wear Daily, DNR, Footwear News, Supermarket News, it had all these trade publications. And I started freelancing for them. And then she and I started dating and we're still married 30 years later, but that's not the point that's of the story. Um, the point of the story is, <laughs> yes, she is fabulous. Um, that's really the point of the story. And that's the end of the interview. Okay. Um, well. So the, the point of the story is that I joined the staff of essentially a newspaper magazine group. And I had to shoot and teach myself on the spot, travel photography, food photography, event photography, portrait photography, fashion photography. So I was working across six or seven genres. Wow. And um, doing it on my own without any feedback or uh, editor or mentor or anything,
0: literally making it up as I went. You didn't have anybody to call because I've only shot food like twice, but I have friends who shoot food. So I would go like, and I tried to get out of it. I didn't want to shoot the food, but the art director really liked me and wanted me to shoot it and insisted. So I called a friend. was like, how do I shoot food? And they kind of walked me through it and how to do it. So did you have anybody you could call and ask or you just literally just set it up? Cause it's not like you're shooting digital and you could look at it and go, Other than your Polaroid. Um, You and I have the exact same story.
1: Um, And the only, well, there's two stories, Uh, but I'll tell you the food story first. The food story is that one of my closest friends from preschool was going to Art Center College. And he was actually learning, you know, lighting technique in school. And I had a food assignment and I called him up and I said, Cam, how do you shoot food? And he said, put the light behind the food. And I said, thanks, man. So I got out a softbox, put it behind the food, and now I was shooting food. Um, that's story number one. Story number two is I have long believed uh, and practiced this idea that what I do, I can't do alone. Yeah. And back in those days, whether I was calling my friend Cameron, Or in college, I wanted to put up lights in the basketball arena. Oh, yeah. So I called Sports Illustrated. I'm a punk college kid. And I said, hi, who do I talk to about lighting arenas? And they said, oh, you wanna talk to John Haight. And I said, yes, I do. Um, So Andy Haight was one of Sports Illustrated's top photographers and his brother John was traveling the country putting up, I believe, brawn collars in the four corners of basketball stadiums in advance of whatever game Sports Illustrated was shooting. Oh, wow. Then tearing them down, getting on the road, driving to the next arena. So I got John on the phone. There's no internet. Yeah. There's no email. There's no texting. (laughs) And this guy very nicely told me how to do it. So I developed this habit of reaching out to people and saying, hi, how do you do this? Um, and, you know, building off of their, you know, experience and answer, because like you pointed out, I didn't have a regular mentor, teacher, somebody that would give me feedback.
0: Well, that probably worked out by asking multiple people in different disciplines, as opposed to having, say, one mentor who kind of knew how to do everything, you know, trying to teach you had a light in an arena when they really didn't know. So it's probably worked out better, I would think. Well, there, you know, uh, I think you're right. Um, I like to
1: think that I'm a jack of all trades and a master of none. Yeah. And when I, um, my wife and I, um, we were engaged. We were working at Women's Wear Daily and W in Los Angeles. It's 1980, uh, it's 19. and um, the editor in New York called us up and said, how would you guys like to work in the Milan Bureau? And we said, we've never been to Milan. And he said, why don't you go check it out? Let us know what you think. So four months later, we moved to Italy and we moved in October and the spring fashion shows back then were in uh, October. So right. I think we landed on a Thursday and I was expected to be shooting runway in Milan on film that Saturday. So again, I called up an American photographer in Milan and I said, how do you do it? And he, he said, a 300 in the back of the room, Ektachrome 1600 at whatever it was, 2528, And good luck with the follow focus because there was no autofocus right. yeah. in 1989. Wow. So. How'd those come out? You know, dude, if I had six that were sharp or (laughs) 10, you know, because I could never teach my brain which way the barrel had to go as the model was walking at me.
0: Right, yeah.
1: Um, And by the way, those guys, those men and women are phenomenally talented. And back in the day, they were animals, you know, they're just yeah. like elbows and you're in my way and you're in my shot and you know, you're showing up with a pouch full of film yep. and you've got to be able to change <laughs> film because if yeah. you miss the yeah. outfit coming down the runway, your newspaper or magazine or wire service is pissed off. What do you mean you don't have the red dress?
0: Yeah. Wow. The one thing I did learn from shooting weddings, I started shooting weddings at 16 and my dad, on the whole thing i shot weddings for him but was i would shoot when the couple would leave you know when they're leaving, leaving to go to the limo or whatever he had figured out exactly what to set the focus on on the camera and, ex- and he would tell me so when they get into this part of the frame right here that's when you hit the button because that means they're in focus so, you, I would just sit there and watch it. And as soon as they filled that frame to right where I knew it was supposed to be, I'd hit that button in focus every single time. And it worked out great when I shot my friend's wedding and I drank a little too much. And by the end of the evening, I had to, I just knew I didn't have to worry about focusing. So, yeah, it, that took me,
1: it took me years on the sidelines of football games to realize that you've got the long glass yep. 400, 600, and you've also got. The 50 around your neck, that if you pre focused the 50. Yeah. Walter Yost, thank you very much. Those pictures were going to be mostly sharp, you know, when the wide receiver jumps for, you know, the, the bomb in the corner of the end zone. Yeah, right there in front of you. Mm-hmm. How long did you shoot
0: that or how often? Did you uh, sports. Shoot? Yeah.
1: Sports was every year in college and probably for another. Let's see, eighty four, another five years. Okay. After that, do you enjoy that? Oh, I loved it. Yeah. But I also knew that I was just epically out of my depth in terms of the guys right. who just shoot sports.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I love shooting sports when I can, but I don't. I don't get to do it very often. But I used to shoot it, like you said. I used to shoot it in middle school, high school, college. I shot it then and loved it, but I just haven't done a whole lot. That knowing and- the, and here's the thing:
1: knowing the game, yeah, knowing the team, knowing that in this situation, the pass, whether it's in basketball or football, is probably going to go here. Yep. You know, like I now can anticipate shots in the genres that I work in, mm-hmm. but it didn't even occur to me to anticipate the shots in sports. I just wasn't that experienced.
0: Right. Well, I think it makes a huge difference. The longer you do it, the more you learn. I mean, because I know these, and I think even kids now, guys now, girls now who are shooting, I used to be able to tell you what to set the camera on and still pretty much can. What, basically looking at the light based on whatever ISO I'm shooting at, go, okay, the camera needs to be set at this shutter speed, this opening, whatever. And I don't know a lot, and, but it was because I did it for so long and so often and I had a light meter. So I was constantly going with the light meter checking it and then having to go set the camera where now you just shoot it and look at the back of your camera and go, uh, no. And then you make your adjustments off of that. So Exactly. I think it's probably the same kind of thing. The more you do it, the more you get into it. So your wife was obviously the person who kind of helped steer you into where you ended up today. I'm guessing.
1: There's no question. Yeah. And she is still, um, a phenomenally uh, savvy critic of my work, no
0: question. I think we may be married to very similar women.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And there goes the screen. Oh, yeah, there it went. 5D Mark III.
0: Yeah, I I shoot Nikons and they do the same thing. They Mm -hmm. disappear after so much time. Yeah, my wife, she actually is the reason I was shooting weddings and bands. And then my wife had been at a modeling agency and she's like, you should go to this agency. I started shooting for them a little bit and that led me into shooting the stuff I shoot now. But then she's also like, now that yesterday I was editing an image, um, I'd edited images and was Photoshopping um, one of them. And i kind of composited some stuff and came in and she sat down in the chair to write something. She looked up and saw what I was working on. She goes, right there, you need to fix this on her knee. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. All right. Yeah. So it's good. I think it's good to have her, you know, have a woman like that who will help you or anybody actually who will help you. Definitely to have your wife do it that you live with, can you come in and yeah. see it at any time of the day. No question. Yeah. So what is your favorite thing to shoot? So, I mean, you shoot everything. You shoot single people, you shoot movie posters, magazines, you shoot groups. What's the what fa- If you could choose one, like say, a, you knew you were able to pick an assignment next week. What would it be? What was the thing you'd want to shoot?
1: Um, you know, I I am up for any challenge. And uh, I'm sure there are some dream assignments, um, but uh, you know, uh, like a group portrait of the entire royal family okay. in England, yeah. sign me up. Um, but I um, I, I don't know that I've got a, like a favorite thing because
0: sure.
1: <clears throat> um, my nerve endings are just kind of so raw and open to any possibility that comes down the pike. Um, I, I do love a great magazine assignment yeah. and I love it because it's fast and furious and it's scrappy yep. and... Um, I get a lot of input.
0: Oh, that's you know? great. Yeah.
1: On the commercial assignments, I just don't have as much input because by the time the assignment gets to me, yeah. it has been vetted by, you know, dozens of people. Yeah. But the editorial shoot, there's usually maybe one or two people from the magazine that are giving input. And then you're dealing with the talent and their publicist or the subject and some other gatekeeper, but it's still just split second decision-making and going with your gut and really not kind of second guessing and not just doing coverage for the sake of
0: coverage, which
1: you have to do with commercial work.
0: Yeah, I can see that. With the the magazine, the editorial stuff, when you shoot, somebody who has a publicist or a handler or whatever, how has that changed over the last 10, 15 years? I mean, is it, do they have more input now than they used to? Do they have any input on set for stuff like that? Or are they just kind of, I'm assuming they have some kind of input, but. Um,
1: A, don't get me started. Uh, (laughs) B, um, if you have any listeners or viewers that are publicists, my mouth is sealed. And C, um, you know it's like anything else where depending on the publicist's level of confidence in themselves and you know trust with the photographer they're going to be really involved or they're not going to be involved at all but the publicist is the gatekeeper yeah and i've been doing this long enough where most of the publicists trust me and are also looking for my input. And I know a couple of dozen of them really, really well and really like working with them. But their first responsibility is to protect their client, protect slash promote their client right. um, down a certain trajectory. And, you know, um, it's like, you know, I, I, I used to say this about, you know, overzealous makeup people where they don't feel like they're doing something unless they're doing something yeah you know it's very very hard for all of us to peel back to get to a less is more place
0: yeah do has there ever been a time where say the subject you shooting was all up for an idea the handler the publicist not so much up for it And you went ahead and shot it without them knowing it, or just shot it instead because the subject was like, Yeah, let's do it. Have you had any of those kind of deals? Every every
1: permutation that you can imagine has happened. We have have encountered. And I have developed um, over the years um, another skill set of being able to, I'm not going to use the word convince. I'm going to use the word um, advocate for Perfect. the picture that I, want to, that I want to make. And you have to be, you know, again, you need that psychology degree because you've got to be able to read the room and, you know, understand how far you can push before you have to pull back. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, I'm a very, very big believer in getting everybody on the same page as soon as possible, mm-hmm. um, not springing anything on anybody, right. unless it is truly something that is happening in the moment. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I've done that before. I had a, I was shooting, I think it was the president of Bank of America, and then I was shooting like the CFO or something, and we had to have it, you know, they they come in, you shoot, you got to have it set up. They come in, they leave quick. The CFO, we shot him and I had an idea as he was doing something. I was like, I wanted to shoot him sitting on the ground because it was this really cool, going to be this really cool angle. And his handler was like, no, that'll make him look weak. If you shoot him the way you're wanting to do it, I don't want him sitting on the ground looking weak. And I was, luckily I had a Polaroid, it was shooting film. I had, a, I had a Polaroid back, slapped it on, showed him what I was wanting to shoot. It's was like, here's what I want to, pull out of this and they're oh, okay, okay, now you can do it. But yeah, I had to, it is one of those things where you have to be able to talk to people and have a decent personality and read how strong they feel about whatever it is they're talking about and move forward with it if you can, I guess.
1: You know, and that comes back to this idea of being really prepared. So I will, you know, test each of the situations Mm -hmm. with either, you know, a crew member in front of the camera or me in front of the camera. And then um, uh, when it comes time for the talent to walk on set or the subject or whomever, I will bring them to the monitor and say, I'd like to do this and this and this, but I think we should do this with the green dress. And maybe we should do this without the elephant, maybe a giraffe. Um, What do you think? Because, you know, all these years later, everybody is savvy,
0: Yeah, you know?
1: And everybody is guarded
0: to some extent. I think it helps to be prepared. It makes things go a lot smoother. Oh my God, don't get me started. so much more ease when you're prepared, as opposed to just showing up and going, oh, I don't know, maybe we should over here. What do you think about that? Yeah. Absolutely, yes. Preparation is huge. Speaking of preparation, how much prep do you have to do to shoot backstage for the Academy Awards and all that kind of stuff?
1: <laughs> um... Uh, that is that's reportage and the preparation comes from maybe getting there a day early and getting all of those crew members that are working to recognize that you're going to be there and saying hi to them and bringing them a print of them from last year oh smart you know so it's You're, you know, you're just greasing the wheel, honestly, um, because you're going to be working cheek and jowl with these people. So regardless of where I'm going or what I'm doing, I want to get there early. I want to scout. I want to meet everybody. I want to know, you know, where can I plug in, um, Uh where's the fuse box on this house that was built in nineteen thirty? Um, you know, it's preparation, preparation, preparation.
0: That's smart. Yeah. I didn't even thought about the whole getting there a day early and talking to the crew and giving that's amazing. So you have you you know, they're there to work. You're there to capture it. You're gonna be on top of them. Yeah. You know, you you are you just have to assume you're going to be a pain in the ass. Right. Do you more or less have all access backstage to get what you want, wherever? Um, more-
1: I have not shot backstage at the Academy Awards in a couple of years, um, mainly because um, uh, Entertainment Weekly, for whom I was shooting it, got out of the, A, weekly business, right. and be the reportage business. But when I was shooting it, I did have close to unlimited access. The, the the next highest level of access would have been the
0: photographers that were hired by the Academy. Okay. Well, that's pretty good. All right. I just saw what kind of dog do you have? Uh, that is a 15 and a half
1: year old white lab. Ah. Oh. Boy or girl? That is a male and he is walking in circles. <laughs> um, I think there could be some early uh, onset dementia um uh he's definitely not
0: going to run any uh races yeah um there he is yeah i have a four-year-old yellow lab but mm-hmm. female yeah and there he goes What's what, I mean? what happened do you have surgery or something uh
1: yeah there was a recent surgery
0: okay yeah, yeah.
1: but he's still you know fairly mobile
0: yeah he looks good yeah i like him I like labs. Do you shoot mostly DSLRs? Or are you shooting with medium formats or is it just vary? or do you- uh, Both, and it really is the right tool for the job. When do you pull out the medium?
1: Um, you know, I have this bizarre, ancient, uh, um, I think, uh, what's it called? Physiological response to both formats that the uh, DSLR is a landscape, horizontal okay. camera yeah, and that the um, medium format is a vertical camera. Okay. Uh, so most of my portraiture, my vertical portraiture is on the Hasselblad. Okay. However, um, if I need to capture movement and high-speed action even on a seamless, I will probably go for the Canon. Okay. And uh, the Canon is my reportage camera, it's my landscape camera, it's my double page spread in the magazine camera. But okay. it, it absolutely
0: is about the right tool for the job. Right. Yeah. I just didn't know if this, because I've seen a lot of photographers sticking with the DSLRs lately, I guess, because it's gotten up to like 40 something megapixels on some of them. But it seems like a lot of megapixels to cram into a 35 millimeter sensor. Okay? <laughs> well, it,
1: There are, for me, a number of factors at work beyond sensor size. There's the aspect ratio of the, you know, the lens um, Mm -hmm. and the, uh, not the uh, file size of the sensor, but the actual physical size of the sensor, you know, and, and how that depth of field falls off on a medium format. Then there's the ISO capabilities. Um, so there are a number of different, uh, and the six speed, you know, so there's at least four factors going into my deciding which camera I'm
0: going to grab. All right. Well, that all makes sense. Absolutely. All right. So tell me about. Give me one favorite shoot, like one thing that sticks in your head, whether it's from when you first started shooting to yesterday. What's a f- shoot that you just like, this was one of my favorite shoots?
1: All right, I'm gonna pick two uh, kind of what I would believe to be obvious okay. ones. Uh, and that is um, photographing the president and Mrs. Obama in the White House.
0: Oh, wow, yeah. Just to be able to work in the White House is crazy. Um, yeah, how kind of, what kind of clearance did you have to get? How was the process of getting clearance to get in there to shoot?
1: Um, you, send your, you send in your name and social security number, and they make sure that you're not on any kind of terrorist watch list. Okay. You, uh, you get that approval to be you know, in the building. Then you get to the Pennsylvania Avenue gate um, at a designated time. You okay. open all of your cases, A bomb-sniffing dog comes and goes through all the cases. Then a um, a Secret Service agent comes and, you know, runs a wand all over the gear. Then you go through a metal detector, just like at, you know, every airport in the country, gather up all your gear, and you roll in. Um, But back to this idea of behind the scenes, and the field trip,
0: yeah, boom,
1: mind mind blown. Then I would also have to say, you know, the Paramount One Hundred, you know, because the scale was just insane, and uh, being able to capture all of those people in camera, not adding anybody in post production.
0: That's unbelievable to get that many people with those schedules all there at one time how long did it take you to prepare for that one i mean to get set up to get oh my god yeah that was that was a couple of months of homework and
1: uh i think the set was two to three weeks in the making um two and a half to three and um my crew and i got in on the monday and shot on the friday
0: oh wow who'd you use for stand-ins for all that with that many people
1: Excellent question. And um, instead of hiring stand-ins, Paramount, which ran the shoot, um, Paramount went to a temp agency. Smart. And all of a sudden, there were 116 temps in front of us, each of them with a name, eight and a half by 11 name tag. And we had to test drive not just the light and the placement, but how long is it going to take to load? 116
0: people oh yeah damn yeah at first i thought you were gonna say they just had you shoot 100 mannequins <laughs> just set up a bunch of mannequins on there no 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 human wow. beings yeah, yeah that's that was genius though to hire just temps because i'm sure it was much much cheaper to do that uh, i wouldn't know
1: but i'm assuming you are correct
0: yeah i would think so at what point how did you learn to shoot with that much lighting? So, I mean, it sounds like you start off shooting very little lights or strobes to a, maybe one or two, I'm guessing. And then you end up with some of the stuff I've seen you have on Instagram, and I'm assuming that one had to have tons of lighting going on to make it all look decent. Uh, let me see how easy it would be for me to
1: find. I think this is gonna be pretty easy. Um, Am I allowed to share this? Absolutely. The screen. Okay. So let's see. And there it is. Okay. Let's open that. Um, So, you know, it's just a matter, it's a matter of two things. It's a matter of scale and just scaling up. And it's also, um, oh, this is not opening. Hmm. Let's see if it does open. It's also a matter, and I've I've said this before in other interviews, of taking uh, what seems to be an enormous problem. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, and you just break it down, break it down, break it down, break it down, break it down. Um, Oh, wow. I've never seen a keynote break like that, okay all right, I'm going to keep digging in. I'm going to ignore that phone. All right. Um, and I'm going to attempt to find the picture for you. Okay. So um, I, you know, my, my crew and I just broke it down. And we um, just, you know, a lot of this stuff is making it up as you go, yeah. you know. Let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try this. Because, you know, I didn't know anybody that had ever um, shot that many people, um,
0: you know, indoors and and lit them. Yeah. So. So the first time you had a shoot, what was the first shoot you had where you had to have a ton of lighting like that? Do you remember that shoot? Well, I, I don't think there's any well, Not even for the hundred people, but say you had to go with like five, six lights or something like that.
1: Oh, um, okay. So now I'm forgetting this uh, password. Now I am not a robot. Okay. (laughs) This is going to take a little while, but it's worth it. You know, I really, I would have to dig in, but I would, I'm going to say that it was probably a shoot I did for CBS um, way back in like, 2003, four, five, which was called the CBS Mondo shoot. And the CBS Mondo shoot required an entire soundstage with multiple set pieces. Oh, wow. For multiple television shows. Yeah. So I, I think that's kind of where I was um, first involved with just scaling up and scaling up and scaling up.
0: Yeah. Damn. So I saw you also shooting motion now some. How's that? Do you, do you like that? Um, I
1: do, and I, I think that years ago when motion first happened, um, I, I kind of understood that there was going to be, oh my God, this is taking forever and I apologize. That's all right. Let's try, let's try that. Okay. Um, I realized that we were going to, that still photographers are both directors Mm -hmm. and DPs. Right. So when motion came along, we, I believed, had a choice to make. And the choice was um, are we going to direct or are we going to camera operate? Yeah. And I chose to. be a director. You know, I chose to um, uh, continue to direct the talent while a more experienced camera operator was, you know, behind the lens. Right.
0: Yeah. I I, I actually got into that in college with the TV broadcasting thing and really enjoyed it. And then got out of it once I got out of school because I didn't have all that equipment. And then this, when all this started coming back and you could shoot video from your your camera, your DSLR, that's when I started getting back into it a little bit more. I haven't done much, but I enjoy it. I think it's, it's fun to shoot. So tell me about, there's got to be a shoot that you've done where either you thought it was great and everybody else thought it sucked or was not the standard or you thought it was horrible and everybody else thought it was the best thing they've seen in a while Have you had any of those ex- experiences um, I used to do a lot
1: of Monday morning quarterbacking Yeah, um, and I used to come away from my shoots um, really um, uh, you know kind of regretting, you know, what I what I had done. And I don't second guess myself as much (laughs) as I used to. Um, And you know what? I am not able to, unfortunately, find uh, this keynote, which is really, really bumming me out.
0: Really bummed me out. Um, let me well, see. Hold on. Up. One more. You can always one, send it to me and I can throw it in at some point.
1: One more place. Okay. Let's see. Okay. So there's that. And then. Nope. Um, and, you know, I think I might also have a very short memory for shoots that I thought were great. And... Yeah that the um, uh, client was not happy with. Um, I would love to say that that's never happened, but I'm sure that's naive. Um, (laughs) But I will say that I do have a very short memory for that.
0: Well, that's probably good. The only one I can remember for me was I had one, but I was shooting it for myself for my book. And I shot one and got into this fairgrounds, and got in early before anybody was allowed in there got the model the clothes it all looked great I was excited about the fact that they let me in to this place when nobody was there shot the whole thing took it to New wow. York showed it to some friends who were art buyers they looked at it and were like don't show this to anybody ever <laughs> <laughs> I was like what's wow. wrong with it and I told them, it's like the then they blamed it on they're like the model is not good at all and you don't you can't show this so I learned a little bit from that and I also learned that just because I it took a lot of effort to get the shot doesn't necessarily make it a great shot. If all the elements aren't playing the way they're supposed to.
1: No, you know what, that, that is a, um, that is, that's huge. And, uh, you know, understanding that is that's essential to every photographer is that you're probably not the best critic of your own work yeah um for sure. you know for all kinds of reasons um you know not the least of which is that you um you know you are too married to the experience of the shoot to really appreciate whether or not the shoot was successful
0: yeah yeah and i'm trying i'm way better at that now so i'll shoot something and i show it to somebody because then i was extremely disappointed i you know i thought i put all this effort into it and now if i shoot and i show it and i don't get a wow that's a great shot they go ah, it's all right it doesn't offend me anymore or disappoint me i guess is the way just put it that it like it used to and i just go all right well i put a lot of work into setting this up i should have done a little more on whatever end luckily that hasn't happened in a while as i've gotten older i've figured out all the pieces and how to make them work so thank god but when i was younger it was happening a little more often than it. um I, I found it Bear with me cool. um
1: uh, you need to allow me to share this screen
0: okay let me see how do i do that Where are my choices on this thing um i think down at the bottom where it says share screen oh there it is. allow participants to share screen it should be there okay now
1: it's clicked yep fantastic and there's that and there's that wow so that's those are the packs <gasps> and the modifiers and the guys and um the heads and I how many packs think, is that? I think Three, four, two, four, six, 8, 10, 10, 20, 30, two, four, six, eight, 10. So each of those clumps is 10 packs? Yes, that's
0: what one. 10, 20, 30, 40,
1: 50, eight. 60, 70, 80 packs.
0: Wow. And uh, that's how it rolled in. Pack or did you do multiple heads, two heads per pack? Um, No, the bi-tubes. Okay.
1: Um, Then we mapped it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And God, I haven't shown this in a long time. And um, they built us some truss and um, we color-coded, you know, all the heads to match our, um, uh, our schematic. And we attached the heads and we flew up the packs.
0: So the packs were in the air. Wow. Okay.
1: The packs are on what are called green beds up, um, you know, Yeah. up above. And then, you know, once they were up there, um, we, we, we hadn't done the math on how were we going to fire them?
0: Yeah. I was wondering if they were all on slave and you just were firing off one pack and all the rest are on slaves or that's, that's
1: what had to happen, but we needed the one pack. So right. up there somewhere um, is one head that is aimed at all of the other packs.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So there's a head up there whose
0: job it is just to fire all of the packs. Did you have multiple guys up there or people up there just the whole entire time, like making sure? All on that- the
1: day, on the day there were four or five guys up there. Yeah. Wow. Because there were other packs. So then. You know, we do what we always do, which is just light, you know, one light at a time, add the other light, add the next light, do a little YMCA, um, <laughs> hit the left, hit the middle, hit the right, and really understand what the light is actually doing. Um, and what you can't see are there's these guys now have an edge light. Yeah, I was noticing that. Yeah, there's a hair light. Uh, because these people were going to be
0: against black. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So did you figure that part out before you got there? Or is that one of those where when you got there, you're like, damn, we need a hair light.
1: I think it might have been one of those, oh, crap, we're going to need hair light (laughs) things. Um, Then we, the logo, as you can see, is actually cut out of styrofoam, you know, which means it had depth, which means... We needed to see the depth. So what we did was we figured out that we needed to build this weird rig to go underneath. Oh, wow. The lights to light up the underside of the stars.
0: Damn. That's amazing. So that
1: thing lived right here.
0: So that's pointed at the stars and the Paramount sign?
1: Um, This was just to light up the stars because the stars were behind the logo. Right. Wow.
0: Mm -hmm. So is there, how much did you do in post on this as far as retouching?
1: Well, the the post-production, if we scroll down, the post-production was actually a build because we had a left frame and a middle frame and a right frame. And so my retoucher not only sewed together, left, middle, and right, but I also added a far left and a far right to show off the stage. Wow. Because I loved how those 100-year-old stage walls were taking the reflected light off of the set piece.
0: Yeah, they look great. What made you decide to do it in three separate or multiple shots like that, as opposed to just backing the hell up with a wide lens?
1: Um because I knew that we tried a couple of different lenses, by the way, Um, but I knew that, um, you know, the the wide lens was always going to be tweaky and that a longer piece of glass, you know, shot in, um, you know, multiple uh, frames was going to bring everybody closer and flatten them in a way that a 35 or a 50 right? Um, and again, I'm talking about 35 millimeter, um, you know, wouldn't. So if we go back up here to the
0: camera. Okay, know, I was gonna ask you how you did the three different shots. Here,
1: you know, here we were testing the camera. Um, and then eventually we, uh, the guys at Paramount built us a stage and there the, the camera sat on this stage anchored to the stage so it didn't move. Um, and there was our backup camera. So it looks like we were actually shooting, you know, a pretty long lens. And I, I could look that up, but I think we were probably shooting maybe the 150. Oh,
0: yeah, it looks like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you um, just, so did you just sit there at the camera and you just turn it to the left, center, and to the right, or did you actually move it? Oh no! So uh, well,
1: so over the years, um, over the years, I um, used this technique of shooting a left and a right frame. Uh, in when I was shooting my double page spreads on the Mamiya RZ okay so way back in the day i would shoot a left and a right and in photoshop my retoucher would blend them which yeah. gave which gave the look of the the final image this bigger flatter cinematic look so we had done it before
0: right okay. we had just
1: never done it you know kind of that big
0: yeah god that's amazing see all the work you put into that Damn, yeah, I can see why it took forever to plan that out and then set it all up. Yeah, so what's that, what, 100, 160 heads? Uh, 80 packs? Well, half as many, if they're all bi-tubes, it's oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 40 heads. Okay, all right. Yeah, wow. Okay. Well, thank you for showing me that, that was amazing.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So what about your dad, man? Did you? Were you surprised by all the attention you got from on Instagram? And I guess you ended up. I think I heard you on something, th- something saying that German GQ or somebody picked up the shots of your dad. German GQ
1: uh, ran it uh, first, and then New York Magazine um, had a special issue about the elderly, and that was absolutely not my intention. My intention was. <laughs> I'm not shooting anything else, but I am taking pictures of my dad and, you know, reportage on the iPhone. And, you know, I just posted one. And actually the minute you and I are done, I'm going to be posting my visit with him from Tuesday. Um, And the thing is that not only were there, you know, kind of really poignant, sad pictures to be done, but, um, you know, his wit that I'd already always appreciated would come through. You know, I was just literally typing up what he said. Didn't have really any inkling that that was going to be a panacea for some of the people that follow me.
0: Yeah, I thought it was, yeah, it was amazing. Cause I was sitting there looking at it, I was like, these are cool shots. And then, my, and then I heard that, you know, they had been picked up by two magazines. And then my next thought was, nobody giving given a damn if, it, <laughs> like if I'd shot my dad. They'd have been like, ah, that's some cool shots so that I've gotten some likes. But the power of, I think, social media, your followers, all that, it's pretty incredible. And I think it was a cool, cool deal to have something like that up there. And the way you shot it, to have that little bit of reflection coming in as well with you blocking off your dad... I think was nice as well yeah and you know what that those lighting conditions have not happened
1: since which oh, were yeah. a completely flat day
0: you okay. know overcast
1: yeah which you know allowed me to essentially see everything at essentially the same value including my reflection right and the reflection behind me like right now you know the scene right now is you know i was out there on tuesday and the sun is out and it's incredibly contrasty and it, it was that first one was just serendipity.
0: Yeah. It was, it was really nice. I, I liked the way it all turned out. Is there a chance you're going to get to actually get in there and see your dad anytime soon? Or are they still keeping everybody out for a while? You know,
1: while? I call every two weeks and say, Hey, can he come outside if I'm wearing a mask? And they're like, no, we're not there yet.
0: Uh, well, maybe sometime soon. God. I'm I'm hoping yeah no kidding. So what's the longest you've waited on a to show up?
1: Oh wow um, Wow, you know, uh great questions, and you know good for me for suppressing the uh the memories but um, <laughs> I will say that Faye Dunaway um had you know iced me and my crew. I think for a solid six. Really? Um,
0: you think there's she, a reason for that? Like, is this, you think this is done on purpose by people? Well, she. Or is it just one where they're know, just, I'm not interested in shooting and I'm going to put it off until I absolutely have to? No, no, no. You know, God love her. She is a notorious diva,
1: you know? Right. Okay. Um, and it's really unfair to pick on her. I'm not picking on her. I'm just relaying my experience. Um, she redid and redid and redid and redid her hair and makeup, um, redid her, um, wardrobe got in a cab left went home got something came back so you know everybody's got their own reasons
0: yeah yeah i would heard some story i don't want to say it was elizabeth taylor i don't know who i don't know for sure that it was that there was some photographer shooting in her house and she was still like two three hours late oh sure in the shoot. and then i saw it was some reality show with with um it was a photography team and I'm blanking on who the team was. They did a lot of fashion stuff, but they were shooting Lindsay Lohan and it was supposed to be a morning shoot. And they literally sat around until I want to say nine o'clock that night before she finally showed up. And oh my I was God. Was, at what point do you say I'm out? I'm not doing this. I'm not sitting here for, you know, she was supposed to have been here at 9am. It's 9pm. She hasn't shown up yet. I, I mean, don't you maybe at like five go screw this. I'm going home. You know what, we did that, I
1: do remember a shoot, I will not name the musical artist. Um, She was shooting either a music video or a television commercial, Um, and we were supposed to get her at four in the afternoon, and I think we got her at midnight. Um, We were on location, and you know, I, I'm a really big believer in many things. Don't play the diva card, Yeah. you know, um, unless you are truly, truly being abused or your crew is being abused. Right. Um, you know, the client is sticking with it. The client's
0: invested. I'm invested. And we're you at know, least getting updates on when she may show up. Ish. Ish. but yeah. if they feed my crew they pay my crew over time okay i'm in it yeah all right i can see that all right well i'll tell you what i'll let you go to the last question the strangest or most interesting thing that's ever happened to you since you started shooting wow wow that could go
1: so many different <laughs> ways. Uh, so many different ways. There um, might
0: be a few stories, but.
1: Uh, oh my God, just so many different ways. I wouldn't even know where to begin. Uh, wow. Curveball. Um, Curveball over the back corner of the plate. Um, I don't know that I'm going to be able to hit it out of the park. Um This here's the thing, Um, you're wanting to interview me. Yeah, my um, becoming in some small measure in some way uh, uh, somebody that people want to hear talk. Still completely bizarre, you know, Um, that's not. No, that's a great answer. That's not what I got into photography to do. That is not something that existed when you and I were starting out. Yeah. And that just recognizing that the experiences I have have some value for other people being able to share what I do that, you know, when I get a request like yours, I'm still like, wow, really? Okay. All right. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that's, that's definitely up there.
0: Yeah, that's a good answer. Yeah, and I appreciate you doing it. And I mean, even on your Instagram, and where you're showing the way you, you know, the way you light stuff, like the Kevin Hart thing that I just saw that you did, and you showed how you lit it. And I think that's a great thing, especially for these people wanting to get into photography and coming up and have no clue and don't have anybody really to help them. Because when I was coming up, nobody was showing you anything. Nobody wanted to teach you unless you had literally taken a class or we're friends with somebody, nobody's showing you how to do anything unless you're really good friends with them because they're just, I guess they're afraid you're gonna take their job or something. So. Um, I, I always came from
1: the position of, you know, I learned all this stuff on my own and instead of reacting like, I'm not gonna tell you, you go figure it out yourself. I always thought like, God, I wish, you know, I, I wanna emulate, what I described at the beginning, which was somebody picked up, somebody answered the phone and told me how to put lights up. Right. You know, and I want to be able to do that for as many people as possible. I want to pay that forward. Um, And the Instagram thing is really funny because the two questions I get asked the most are who writes your captions (laughs) and why are you giving away all this information? Really? and my answers are i write them um which is its own do you actually you know,
0: type it out or do you oh my god yes oh no no no
1: i i type it on my laptop okay. or my desktop and i email it to myself copy and paste okay. i can't i can't thumb it um and uh and part 2 is while i might be showing where the lights were or what the exposure was, there are, that is one eighth of the stuff we dealt with on the shoot. And social media, Instagram is not the platform to get into all of the politics, all of the logistics, all of the issues. Um, So I extract what I believe to be kind of the most, interesting issue that we had to deal with, which was, you know, in that case, um, th- the most interesting technical issue, yeah. um, apart from wearing a mask and right. being socially distant, um, which was, you know, putting a light in the refrigerator. Yeah, I was gonna say, I like that light in the fridge on Jeff. That was which crazy. I haven't done in a thousand years. You know, remember the Vivitar 283? Yes. Yeah. That thing went anywhere. Right. Little Peanut Slave. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. You, could, you could put that thing anywhere. Yes. Oh, my God. That thing was such an amazing workhorse. I'm just heartbroken thinking about a Vivitar 283, and I'm going to go see if I've even got one in the garage. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, um, happy to write the captions myself, happy to have it in my voice, and happy to share what I can.
0: Well, I think it's great. And like you said, it's, you shouldn't, my wife was like that even when we first met or when we she first started hanging out with me and I was meeting other photographers. There was someone who came up and asked me something and she's like, why are you being like that? That's your competition. I'm like, they're not going to see it like I see it. They're not going to be able to talk to the client the way I talk to the client. They're not going to know exactly how I'm shooting any of it. They just know, here's what I did from you know, maybe I'll, you know, use a reflector over here or light over here, but they're not going to be able to replicate it the way I did it. And the client's not going to have the same experience. So I'm not worried about it. You know, if they're better than me, they're better than me. And then I have to step my game up next time. That's,
1: that's exactly right. And you know, the, the new restaurant does not forbid the uh, chef of the restaurant from across the street from coming in and sitting down and having a meal.
0: Right. You know, it's, it's an honor. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you doing this art. Um, good luck to your daughter. I hope. Where, thank can, you you, find, Mark. where can you find her album? Uh, she, and what's her name? Tell me your name again. Her name Israel. is Sienna. Okay. S-I-E-N-A.
1: Um, if you type Sienna Stryber into YouTube, you'll find the concert from the other night. Oh. And um, just about every single streaming platform that you can name, you can find Sienna, the album, CMS Driver, the
0: artist. Okay, great. Well, cool. Hopefully everybody checks that out. And thank you uh, very much. Tell when you talk to Ken, tell him I said hi. I will. I'm gonna be talking to him at uh, four thirty this afternoon. Are you really? Okay, good. Well yeah, then definitely tell him I said hi. I will. Thank you so much. Right. Thank you, I appreciate it. All right, best of luck. All right, thank you. Bye.
1: Bye.